0: RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. What do you know about performance plateaus? Have you ever discovered that you just aren't making significant progress? You might just be feeling that you're staying the same with regards distance, speed, personal best, fitness, body composition... All of these things can be a problem when you're in a performance plateau. So in today's episode, we're going to explore what it is, why it occurs, and we're going to give you some food and nutrition ideas to help you move past your performance plateau. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith nutritionist friends and runners who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans helping you enjoy peak running performance and especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Aileen to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome everyone, I'm Aileen and I'm here again with Karen and today we're talking about the performance plateau phenomenon uh, which may be something you've heard of or maybe not and perhaps it's something that you've experienced so understand the frustrations with it Um, but before we move into this discussion as always we'll begin by sharing something personal with you that's linked to our Running Your Nutrition. So Karen, I thought staying on the theme of the performance plateau, uh, my question to to you today is have you ever experienced uh, this phenomenon?
1: Well, actually, Aileen, I think uh, I, I have. Um, although at the time, I was unaware of its title. I just knew that my, um, my, my performance, my running performance wasn't progressing, I wasn't getting anywhere, even though I was putting in the training. Um, well, certainly, I was putting in the miles, you know, because I used to just go out and run I didn't have any real plan I just enjoyed running and it was at that point when I felt that I wasn't I wasn't sort of I wasn't getting any pbs I couldn't run any further or whatever that's when I decided I was going to employ a running coach to support me um, in trying to achieve uh, a, a, the best I could be really from um, from being a runner and I have to say that she has been invaluable I, I have seen so many changes that have always been dips but that's usually due to being away from training for whatever reason or being injured and then I've got to build up again but actually reaching the performance plateau I haven't had that feeling certainly in in quite a long time so um how about you Aileen is it is it something that you think you might have experienced at some point during your your running history
0: um well I wouldn't say I've had a plateau certainly in in recent years but I think uh, my challenge really is more getting back to fitness after time away from running, as you you were saying. You know, you've had that experience too. So either due to illness or injury, and um, you know, because of that, my performance has has dipped due to the training not really being up to yeah. par um so yeah I, I sort of would aspire to get to a performance plateau <laughs> I think at the moment I think that would be really great if I could get to such a level that I was plateauing and then yeah. I could then I could um ask for advice um mm. so yeah my my big thing at the moment is just getting back to my where I where I would like to be mm. um so okay let's uh, let's move on and uh introduce our subjects uh for today in a bit more detail so as we've already said we're going to be discussing reaching a performance plateau. And interestingly, it's thought that most runners will experience one at some point. And in fact, most individuals regularly partaking in any sports or exercise discipline are thought to be affected by this phenomenon at some point. And as we said, it may be something that people have not heard of, but maybe they've experienced it. And and perhaps just by uh, listening to us. Today, you might identify with some of the things that we're going to talk about. So, uh, what we're going to do to sort of develop um, our understanding is outline exactly what it is and why it may occur. And then we're going to move on to look at food and nutrition as one approach to help overcome the performance plateau. And then we'll focus on putting the food and nutrition ideas as well as some training ideas into place to overcome or prevent the occurrence of a performance plateau. So I think it would be a good place to start, Karen, if you could define what exactly a performance plateau is.
1: Yes, absolutely, alien. Well, the, the commonly used definition is the one that suggests that it happens when the body begins to adjust to the demands of the exercise that's being performed. Therefore, that individual isn't likely to see um, much, if any, benefit from their training. So, for example, there might be it might be that there's no increase in their speed or their endurance. Or if it's a a, a strength trainer, a a gym bunny, then it might be that there's no increase in muscle building um, for that particular individual. But when we look at the research, um, there was a review paper I was reading recently and they described the, the performance plateau as a significant obstacle for professional athletes and average athletes or subjects that they called them. So I like the way that they used that it, it was an obstacle, whereas you're saying, Aileen, that you would like to reach one. So it's really interesting. You know, is it a positive? Is it a is it a negative to, to performance? So really interesting. That's maybe something we'll speak about later. Now, in this review paper, they went on to say that it, it evolves from both the muscle nerve access associated performance and various cardiorespiratory parameters. Now these cardiorespiratory parameters included the VO2 max. And we have spoken about VO2 max um, quite a lot in these episodes, but just as a reminder, It is uh, the maximum or optimum rate at which the heart, the lungs and the muscles can effectively use oxygen during exercise. Now, it is used as a way really of measuring a person's individual aerobic capacity. But it's also uh, potentially a parameter when looking at the performance plateau.
0: (laughs) Right, Well, all of that sounds quite complicated, but I suppose if you simplify all of the terminologies that you've just mentioned there, Karen, um what you know these scientists are saying that is the performance plateau is associated with the brain, muscle, and cardiovascular systems and adaptations affecting performance. yeah, um, so- yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly that, Aileen. And I think, you know, the way that you have described it, I think it also highlights the multiple, the multiple mechanisms that actually underlie the development of that performance plateau and exercise. So it's not just one area that's affected, it's it's multiple, uh, multiple systems, multiple
0: mechanisms. Okay, so we've established what it is. Um, can you enlighten us, Karen, on why it might happen? Yes, well, we have
1: already mentioned that it appears to occur as the body adjusts or gets used to the exercise that's actually being performed. So for example, if you're a runner who runs three times a week at the same speed for the same length of time each day, then initially you're going to see body system adaptations, for example, maybe it's um, increased muscle mass or reduced fat mass. Now, Initially, you might find that the time and the distance are quite tiring or they're difficult, but as your body adapts to it, it becomes much easier. And then over time, eventually, that there won't be any further adaptation and that exercise remains easy and um, and therefore you're going to find that there's no change in your performance or any body composition changes either. So it's it's just starting to plateau. Um, what I would say here is, you know, that's a really simple example, but hopefully it's one that everybody could maybe relate to or understand um, wh- wh- what the what it means basically
0: yeah I think I think that's a really good example and even if you were a beginner runner running short distances you know you'll you'll remember what it was like when it was difficult and then you'll remember how much easier it is now that you practiced and uh, you know maybe at that stage if you're training you're not really considering performance particularly but um but yeah certainly it, it the adaptation analogy sort of works with that so what what you're saying um karen is that the adaptation and plateau effect are very closely linked so no adaptation from training really equals a performance plateau and Mm -hmm. continual adaptation to training um equals um, no performance plateau
1: yeah, exactly that alien. So it's important that, you know, if you if you're finding that um that your body is no longer adapting, like using the um the analogy that I gave earlier. Uh, the example I gave, if you find that there's no adaptations, there's no change in your performance, no change in your body composition, then are you reaching that performance plateau? But if you're still seeing the, the changes in your performance, then clearly you haven't reached that plateau yet.
0: Yeah. And I suppose from a mindset point of view, some people might call that maintenance and they might be happy with that. And other people would see it as a plateau because they're aspiring to greater things absolutely Um, yeah so um how can I run or avoid reaching a performance plateau
1: well I think actually Aileen um what I would just add here and it goes back to what you were saying about you'd like to reach that plateau or by reaching a plateau um is, is that maintenance. Therefore, a person's happy with that. It, it, and, and I agree with that. You know, it shouldn't necessarily be seen as a negative state. It is it is actually a sign that you've you've made some progress. So well done for that. You know, you should, you should be giving yourself a pat on the back. But what it is suggesting is that you're now ready to take the next step and up your training if that's what you want to do and you want to progress further and that will then um, help increase your performance now for a runner this could be in the form of maybe increasing your endurance so increasing your distance and or maybe starting to include or increase intervals, hill drills, tempo sessions, all the different ways that you can use your running and use skills to to further your performance. So, but just going back to your your question, Aileen, about how can a runner um, avoid reaching a plateau? Well, it might be that, they're unable to avoid it. it's almost like a place you might have to pass through but I think it would be helpful to recognise quite early on that they're um, that there are in a, a plateau so that they can they can kind of run through it so to speak so they're aware of what's happening so they can make the changes so that, that they don't get stuck and they can move on.
0: Yeah I like that I like the idea of knowing that you've reached that sort of destination in your training um so what would be the signs and symptoms an individual would look out for to know that they've reached that performance plateau
1: yeah well I think the principal one would be that training is is no longer being effective so um maybe running performance has stalled and and Like I'm saying earlier, individuals are no longer achieving that running goal, that distance or increasing their distance or getting the PBs that they were used to getting. It might be that training will feel easy. And because of that, maybe they're not experiencing any DOMS at any point. Now, you don't want to be experiencing DOMS after each training session. But DOMS is a sign that you are challenging certain muscle groups. Therefore, this would suggest that your training is progressive. It's not actually stalling. And for some runners, they might notice that they're no longer achieving the body composition goals that um, I mentioned earlier. So, for example they might not be um, increasing muscle mass or reducing fat mass like they were doing previously. Also, individuals might become tired um, and, and have low motivation for their training. And another sign potentially is that there's, um, there's signs of increased injury and that would suggest that there's maybe overuse or repetitive strain um, occurring, sort of those conditions are, are occurring. So these are just some ideas
0: of of, um, signs and symptoms to observe for? Oh, that's really helpful, Karen. And and what I'm picking up from what we've spoken about so far is that there must be some risk factors in the development of a performance plateau. It can't just be about the training. So for example, we know that training adaptations are linked to the diet and the nutrition of an athlete, as well as things like their age, their gender, the genetic makeup, and also stresses in life might also diminish the physiological adaptations to training, which might uh, possibly lead up to a performance plateau as well.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right, Aileen. You know, other factors do need to be taken into consideration. It's not just about the training Um, and other factors above and beyond what you've mentioned Aileen are also the likes of um sleep if there's poor sleep hygiene um which could also be classed as a as a a stressor uh, poor recovery poor fueling around your training you spoke about um nutrition and diet and and just that inappropriate fueling around training could be another potential factor and also overtraining, and that um is thought to be um, uh, an accumulation of training and non training stress, another form of stress that's leading to long term effects on performance. So, if you're finding that that is occurring, this overtraining
0: is occurring, it might be linked to the performance plateau. Yeah, so I guess, you know, if you are in that situation and you feel that you've reached a plateau, You've got to really ask the question why and really think about all of these different areas so that you can get a holistic view of what might be uh, contributing to that plateau. Um, So, yeah, all very interesting. And um, we we mentioned earlier that gender may also be a risk factor in the performance plateau effect. And bearing that in mind, Karen, I'm just wondering, are there any female factors that we need to consider regarding uh, this phenomenon? Yeah,
1: I think there's one that um, I would mention, um, and it's linked to VO2max. And and there is known to be a gender specific difference in the VO2max plateau. And it's thought that females have an earlier plateau than men. Now, Remember, as we mentioned earlier, VO2 max is the maximum or optimum rate at which the heart, the lungs and the muscles can effectively use oxygen during exercise. And um, and also VO2 max is part of that cardiorespiratory system that is associated with the performance plateau. So, it, it, you know, From this information, really, it would appear that women may reach a performance plateau earlier than men. And I think also this this bit of information also highlights the fact that really at some point, every athlete will potentially reach a performance plateau that they can't overcome because it's being dictated by maximum physiological capacity. You know, we're looking at it from a view of running through the plateau, Mm. Or observing some for symptoms that you could then um adapt to improve performance, but there may come a time when you've reached your peak, so to speak.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's a hard thing for people to come to terms with sometimes, mm. isn't it? You know, I, I know um as a, a a runner who is um getting older every year, as we all are, um yes. it's a conversation point with friends and they'll you know we, we do sort of talk about well. You know, we're, we we've moved into a new age range on the, the race statistics and, uh, that change, it seems to change things. And, you know, maybe you can't always get a, I've got one friend who thinks he can just get a personal best in everything every single time. And it's hard for him to come to terms with the fact that maybe, yeah. you know, in his fifties or, you know, he's, he's might have to adjust his expectations. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's, um, you know, there's always ways in which we can adapt, as you say. Mm-hmm. Um, so, just to summarize what we've discussed so far, um, we've established that a performance plateau is where there's a stalling in performance progression. And that could be due to many different factors, including repetitive training, poor sleep, diet, lifestyle, age, gender, or genetics. So, there's a whole host of reasons. Um, but you can also see it as a positive state. Um, and, you know, we, we might also think of the performance plateau as something that suggests that it's time to change something uh, in whatever way is necessary um, to continue achieving running in uh, in races and, and to continue our, our run training. So um, lots of different things to think about. And, uh, you know, another thought I've got, Karen, is that often – when runners turn to nutrition, it's because they've done everything else. Nutrition, unfortunately, isn't always the first thing that people think about. We we mm. wish it was. Yes. Um, but often it's at that point where they think, well, why, what's going on? Is there something else I can do? And yes, it certainly is. So that brings us very nicely into thinking about diet and nutrition and how that might be a factor in a, in a runner reaching um, that performance um Plateau. Uh, so let's look at that in more detail, Karen. So what, um, what diet, what aspects of diet and nutrition can contribute to uh, the performance plateau?
1: Well, actually, a, a key point I think about diet that uh, I would like to highlight here really is that um, that repetition in food and meal choices could potentially contribute to reaching or maintaining this performance plateau you know earlier we spoke about repetitive training and how it might lead to development of the the plateau phenomenon um but i think potentially the diet could do that as well now i have to say that many of my clients have a repetitive diet and i think it's quite common in runners especially breakfast for some reason um they they tend to just eat the same breakfast over and over again but I do have clients who just say well yeah my diet consists of maybe two or three different choices and that is it because they feel that um that it works um and 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 you know they'll say to me that they 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 just eat it um because it, it works and they don't want to change in case it affects their performance. And, um, and and they do it also because it takes the thinking out of their nutrition and their mealtime decision. So it's like, OK, I haven't got time to think about the food. I know this works, so I'm just going to keep eating it. But I think like training and what we were saying about training, it may um, work For you for a time but only for so long you know initially it might be supporting your training however as your running starts to improve and you start to adjust your maybe your endurance or your speed your skill-based training If you don't adapt your food along with your training, the same food intake isn't going to be um, sufficient enough uh, and it might not be the right proportions that you're having or the right types of food that you're having to support that. And this could actually lead um, into an aspect of the overtraining sy- syndrome that we mentioned earlier. So training is a big part of that, clearly, because it's overtraining. But your nutrition can feed into that, and if you're not feeding appropriately, it can uh, it can lead to this overtraining as well. So just another another risk factor, really.
0: Yeah, and that's a really excellent point you've made, Karen. And I just wanted to mention. Uh, nutrition periodization which would also align with what you've just talked about and um, we have a an episode dedicated to that subject uh, it's episode 28 and it's called nutrition periodization for runners so you might want to go back um, through our back catalog and listen to that if uh, it's an area of interest to you uh, but just to summarize um, something that Louise Burke Um, has been saying. Louise Burke is a prominent scientist in the world of sports and exercise nutrition. And she co-wrote a research paper on a new approach to nutrition periodization. And in this paper, the the, um, researchers spoke about the different phases of training and they described them as being Uh, micro, uh, meso and macro. So micro being within days, within a day or days and meso within several weeks and macro over months to years. So the idea is that nutrition strategies would reflect these different phases and so could be adjusted on a daily, weekly, monthly basis to support increased performance. And that would help diminish the risk of reaching a performance plateau.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a really good point, Eileen, because it is quite new research, but I think it is coming. Um, to be more and more accepted, and I was actually um, reading an article by a chap called Alex Dreer. He's an accredited practicing dietitian in Australia, and he outlined these phases actually that you've just spoken about, um, and and that training and nutrition links in a, in a really easy to understand way. Well, I, I, I hopefully it'll be easy. I'll just go through them. Um, so he was speaking about the the microcycle period. So he he classed this phase as a time when you would focus on changes in training and nutrition. Occurring in, in say, around one week. So, for example, a runner generally completing easy longs, run longs and interval type sessions at tempo intensity or above. And for each session, the body chooses a different fuel mix based on how hard or intense the exercise is. Therefore, the food eaten would need to reflect this. So it's really thinking about that intake on a daily, weekly basis to reflect what the training's doing, then that mesocycles cycles um, and periodization. This phase, uh, he says, is is. Um, Really, a small collection of the microcycles that represent similar training or nutritional goals. So, for example, during a base phase, the majority of running that's done would be maybe at easy or steady intensity. And therefore, the majority of the focus of nutrition during the cycle would be to provide extra total energy, but maybe trying to consume less overall carbohydrates because of um, that lower overall requirement for it as an energy source because it's that slow steady running so you might be able to to tap into the fats instead but in the mesocycle as a race approaches so for example maybe around one month before a big event there would probably be more training at a higher intensity so that skill-based training coming in and therefore, less total energy required, but more total carbohydrate intake to fuel that high intensity exercise. So it really is about playing about and periodizing
0: your your um, your nutrition. That's really a great explanation. Uh, so I'm glad that Alex Trea actually um, wrote about that. Mm. Um, so now that we know what micro and the meso cycle of periodization of nutrition is, um, and I think you know for most people you know just listening to that, you can imagine that approach being applied, say, for marathon training over a period of weeks and months mm. um but what would what would the description of the macro cycle periodization be Karen?
1: Well, as as the name suggests, Aileen, this phase um, is based around a much larger training block and that usually encompasses anything from from about three to six months, depending on the type of event that the individual is training for. Or this phase could be introduced really during the out-of-race season. Not everybody has an out-of-race season, but a lot of people do. So you might introduce this phase at that time. Now, changing your nutrition goals for a, a macro cycle can be quite tough because they tend to be more broad types of changes. So, here I'm thinking about um, during this phase, a runner or an, an athlete might um, think about experimenting with different ergogenic aids around key sessions for improvement once they go back into that race season. So, I'm thinking here of things like caffeine, maybe a carbohydrate, mouth rinse. Some people like to just play about with that so that they don't have to ingest the, the the carbohydrates. They can just mouth rinse and then spit it out. Or also the nitrate. So that's usually in the form of the beetroot shots, which we've spoken about Um Quite a lot in the past. And also at this time, a runner might try to include more bulky vegetables and good fats to to reduce their overall energy intake to try and help manage that body composition in preparation for their next big event. But, um, you know, that's what um, Drea was saying. But I I personally think that during this phase, the food choices tend to be more uncertain and unpredictable for people, especially if a runner isn't looking towards another big racing goal. So it's almost like it's a time where they tend to relax and will maybe eat foods that they don't eat during um, sort of intense training towards a, a. an event, so you know uh, Drea was speaking about the fact that they might look at body composition at this point, but some people go the other way, and then mm. it's not until they get back into the 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 meso uh, cycle that they, they would then be more particular about how much they eat and what they're eating to to lose or, or to adapt that body composition again.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting, Karen. Um, so it's it's about maybe doing things that don't affect your uh, race performance because you're you're out of season, so you've got the opportunity to either do things that might not be um, in tune with fueling your running, or as you say, to experiment with things that you might not have the time to experiment with in the lead up to a race. So yeah, it's a good uh, a good opportunity to. Mm to Mm. use it in both different ways. Okay, so um, we've mentioned that a repetitive diet may contribute to a runner reaching that performance plateau that we've been talking about. And we've also talked about the possibility of uh, using periodization of food and diet to help prevent it occurring. But I'm wondering, are there any specific nutrients that we need to think about? And are there any that are thought to help a runner uh, sort of prevent reaching that uh, performance plateau Karen?
1: Yes I think um, I've, I've spoken about sort of carbohydrates um, um, regarding uh, in, in, uh, body composition etc but the macronutrients especially protein and, and carbohydrates are thought to be linked uh, to the the, the performance plateau. Now, as we know, carbohydrate is a limiting factor in running performance. We speak about this a lot. Therefore, I think it goes really without saying that it could influence the performance plateau phenomenon because it is limiting performance if it's not been taken on board in the correct amounts. Now, when thinking about carbohydrate, it is important to consider the type of carbohydrate that you're having and the timing of the carbohydrate intake. Now, we have discussed nutrient timing several times on the podcast so there are lots of back issues that you could go and revisit including way back um, in episode eight we spoke about nutrient timing for performance then episode 45 time restricted eating and um, running performance but the key points I would just highlight here regarding carbohydrate intake that might be pertinent to the performance plateau are the fact that the the intake of complex, complex carbohydrates and the hours pre-training could really help support that optimal glycogen storage and a slow and steady release of glucose when um, required during exercise and then the intake of the quick-release um, Carbohydrates at 45 to 60 minute intervals during endurance training will help to prever, preserve the glycogen stores for use when they're actually required. So, you know, just using carbohydrates, as we speak, say many times, using them strategically and appropriately may help prevent that performance plateau. But also thinking about fasted fasted state training under the correct conditions could support efficient use of fat as fuel, therefore, again, preserving that glycogen
0: stores for when they're really um, necessary and required. So basically what we're saying here is that if carbohydrate intake is adequate, and the correct type of carbohydrate is consumed at the correct time, so pre or during training, this could help prevent it becoming a limiting factor in performance, and that will contribute to help preventing a performance plateau occurring. Um, So that's sort of a big, big sort of um, summarizing uh, statement there. Um, (laughs) Okay, so now, uh, why don't we think about protein now, Karen, what way can that um either contribute to prevention or maybe um actually help well not help but cause it you know cause it occurring so how how does protein work in this situation
1: Yeah, well, as we know, protein is required for that muscle protein synthesis. And as running really, especially the endurance running, is a catabolic activity. So that breaking down of muscle, it's really important, again, to consume sufficient amounts of it to maintain that muscle mass. Now, if muscle mass declines, then performance is going to be Affected, and then there's going to be an increased risk of injury from that. So, and as we mentioned earlier, a shift in um, body composition and that increased injury from running are two potential symptoms of the performance plateau phenomenon. So, really important to to get your your protein intake correct now that appropriate protein intake will really depend on the type of training that's being done so for example if it's skill based training or strength and resistance training that's going to require an increased intake because really what you're looking to do there is increase muscle building and um, quite dramatically what is known as hypertrophy whereas low moderate intensity training over a longer period of time so that endurance running what you want to do there, um, you, you, you want to take on board moderate amounts of protein because the aim is to prevent the breakdown of muscle. But also for an endurance runner, it's it's about the repair and the remodeling of the muscle as well. So you need appropriate amounts, but you're not looking for hypertrophy as such. You're looking for maintaining um, maintain or preventing that breakdown of muscle
0: yeah and as as we know, you know midlife women um don't build muscle as easily as they did when they were younger, so that's another reason for focusing on protein intake. So, um, just on that note, Karen, we know that the uh, recommended daily allowance for protein for a non active person is 0.8 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. And uh, now it's thought that this level is the minimum amount thought to prevent disease but so it's not necessarily optimal. Um, And I do think that's worth bearing in mind. And, um, you know, we've talked about protein intake a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. So especially for the active individual, it really does need to be much higher. Um, So for endurance running to prevent that muscle catabolism, we're talking of a range of being 1.2 to 1.6 grams uh, per kilogram of body weight per day is the recommendation. And if you're in that, menopausal, postmenopausal phase, you, you're at the higher end of that range. Um, now, if you were in a situation where you were trying to build muscles um, and you're doing a lot of strength or skill-based training, then up to two kilograms, uh, two grams per kilogram of body weight a day would be recommended. So that's mm. quite a high amount. Um, yes. That might be quite challenging uh, to, to take it's on board amazing. for some people um but um, it just gives everybody an indication of um, the range that they might need to consider um and i have to stress this as a general recommendation uh, for some people the requirement may be greater uh, depending on your age your gender the amount of training um whether you're following a, a vegetarian or vegan diet etc so there's lots of different things to um take into consideration but the main thing is working out what is optimal for you and making sure it's consistently consumed.
1: Yeah and I do always think it helps when you do have an idea of of how much of a food or nutrient might be beneficial for you and I think because these are worked out on grams per kilogram it helps to keep it fairly um, personalised. Now clearly there are other Factors to be taken into consideration, but it keeps it um, it keeps it more personalised than just giving a, a, an amount to have per day. So, um, so, so, thanks for that, Aileen. And um, and and a, and a point of interest I would just like to add here is that um, I was reading a a twenty nine review paper recently, actually, by um, a chap called Nicholas Bird and um, his colleagues, and it was titled. A food first approach to enhance the regulation of post exercise skeletal muscle protein synthesis and remodeling. Now, in this review, they were discussing isolated protein intake versus protein within a, a food matrix and how. Each might affect the rate of that post exercise muscle protein synthesis. Now, this review suggested that dietary protein action on muscle protein synthesis rates could be um, modulated or, or supported by other nutrients within a food matrix to achieve their protein requirements for optimal muscle adaptation. So, that was appeared to be greater than um, the the muscle protein synthesis rate achieved by having the isolated protein on its own. Now they stated in this from this. Um, a research paper and I quote, uh, protein dense whole foods often provide other important non-protein components. So thinking about lipids and carbohydrates, vitamins and minerals and other bioactive constituents that you will find in food rather than an isolated nutrient. And it's with all these components within the food matrix that might interact and subsequently contribute to the regulation of the muscle protein synthesis rate. So I thought that was really interesting, sort of looking at it from a food matrix versus um, a s- isolated supplemental form of protein.
0: Yeah, I think that is really interesting. And, uh, you know, it makes you think even if you are using uh, an isolated protein powder that to have it within a food, you know, to add it to food might give you more benefits than just having it on its own. Mm. Um, So, yeah, food first is always where uh, we are. Um, And uh, we always um, advocate the food first approach. Um, But the, you know, I think it is very interesting that um, the research has been done around using that isolated protein, which is generally in the form of whey, Um, But maybe, you know, the tide is turning and there's going to be more food based research emerging. It's certainly not a title that I would have searched for food first, but maybe Mm. I'll start doing it now. It might be the thing that uh, maybe the tide is changing, as we we say, and we can uh, we can find more food based research uh, available which would be really great. Um, but like you say, Aileen, you
1: know, uh, the, the the research does tend to f- focus on whey especially. Um, and I think that's why so many whey-based protein powders are available commercially. But I have to say that there are some um, other protein powders out there that do look at that whole food. So they're whole food-based. And um, one um, protein powder-based company um, that we recommend is the is the purition And actually, most of their products are whole food based. They only have one isolated whey protein product. Now, we will tell you a little bit more about Puritza's products in a minute. But first, I'm just going to recap on what we've discussed, because we've spoken about quite a a lot. So so we've outlined some of the food and nutrition approaches to help prevent reaching the performance plateau and including things like making sure that you have um, a varied food intake, that you're eating enough for the training. Being um, that you're doing potentially following the micro, meso, macro approach to nutrition periodization, and also thinking about the amount, the timing, and the type of carbohydrate and protein that you're consuming around your training. All of these are going to be really supportive, and hopefully you being able to run through that uh, performance plateau. So, Aileen, I think this might be a good time to to have a, an advert break where maybe you could tell uh, all our listeners a bit more about the Purition products that, that we use and, and we love and use with our clients as well.
0: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Karen. Um, so yeah, this is the moment in the episode where we just take a minute or two to talk to you about what we do outside of the podcast. And as uh, many of you will know, we do recommend uh, different products, ones that we use ourselves, and also that we recommend to our clients. And you can easily find all our recommendations on the shop section of our website, which is Runners Health Hub. Com. um and today we've mentioned purition who specialize in whole food protein powders now the thing we love about purition is that they do use natural ingredients and um, they've got a, a wide range of products um, available for you and they're tailored for different dietary requirements and preferences and they that includes having a vegan range too um, Now, when you look at their label, you'll see that it's all um, whole food ingredients. So you'll see nuts and seeds as protein sources. Um, There's botanicals like ginger and cinnamon. And they also use freeze dried um, fruits like uh, cherries and strawberries. Um, So they're all natural. They're all whole foods and they all have healing properties. Um, Now, I use them regularly, I would say you know, probably five days out of seven, I'll have one of their uh, purition um, sachets, which um, is a 40 gram portion. And out of that, you get about 16 grams of protein, but you also get lots of other nutrients. And uh, I've got a lot of clients that use it and um, have seen great benefits in other aspects of their health, as well as, um, you know, to do with their uh, running performance. So, um, What I would say is, um, you know, check the label to find the the best for you um, over and above the protein um, for the extra nutrient value that you're looking for. And if you want any advice, you can always um, drop us a line or jump on a call with us. Um, They've got a really wide range of flavors. One of the great things that I love about them is that you can buy a taster pack and so you, you can choose lots of different flavors and I've done. I did that to begin with, and I've probably got maybe four or five that I regularly order. Um, so if you do that, you'll find the ones that you like. And as Karen says, they do have a, a plain one if uh, if you if you don't want a flavoured one. They also on their website, if you have a, a read, you'll find that uh, British ultra runner Christian Morgan also uses. Pres- uh, purition as a vital part of his nutrition plan. Uh, so that's a great endorsement. And I was really pleased to to read about that. So you can tell that we really love purition and um, we'd love you to uh, try them out. And if you, you're interested in trying them, look at our website, runnershealthhub.com, click on the shop, scroll down to our favorite protein powders. And um, there are links that will take you to uh, be able to purchase them. Um, As I say, try the the starter pack. It's a really good place to begin.
1: Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. So now let's move on and consider how you could put some of these food and nutrition ideas we've given you into practice to help you potentially overcome a performance plateau. If that's what you're looking for, you might just be happy to reach that plateau. Now, we might consider some training approaches as well at this point, but I just wanted to remind you that um, our expertise is in the realm of nutrition. So when we do start to speak about um, other aspects of run training, we are speaking from our experience as runners or experience we've had with clients. You know, we're not running coaches or sports therapy practitioners, but we can recommend other experts if you uh, did want or need more specific advice on that so so let's think about what you can do well firstly I think putting all well that what we've spoken about into practice I think the first thing maybe to think about is what are you eating and how much of it are you eating you know maybe ask yourself the question has my training increased but my food choices remain the same. In other words, is your diet repetitive? And is the amount you are eating still as it was when you were doing less training? Now, and I I have to say that um, repetitive food choices is a trap that I can fall into sometimes, especially concerning my breakfast. You know, I mentioned at the beginning that breakfast does seem to be quite repetitive for many people. And I know that that I, I... can fall into that trap as well at times you know my choices tend to be one that um supports steady state running but not so much the strength or intensive training and and and, and like Many other people, I tend to have the same breakfast because it's quick, it's easy. And also I like it. Um, but is it actually serving my training? I have to re- be very mindful, very conscious of, OK, what's my training today? Therefore, OK, what do I need to eat before or afterwards? So I just wonder how many people do the same thing as me. Um Another point here is just to remember that intense training and strength training would require a higher intake of protein while still having some carbohydrates. So, for example, porridge might not be the correct choice at this point you know porridge is a really good choice as a, as a as a breakfast but if you're doing a lot of intense training or strength training then you want to be looking at more protein-based foods so maybe eggs on toast or with oat cakes instead and, um, and that or, or smoked salmon or even thinking about having chicken for breakfast that might be a better choice for that type of training and also think about how much you're Eating. Remember, the more training you complete, the more energy you ro- you will require. So your portion sizes will need to increase to align with your training. And if if um, energy is insufficient, it is well known to lead to that compromised running performance and might contribute to non-functional overreaching and the overtraining syndrome that they spoke about um, earlier. And and overtraining is. A known factor in that performance plateau effect. So, those are just some ideas um, regarding what you could think about and maybe changes to make in your food planning around your training.
0: What else would you add here, Aileen? Um, well, just thinking about um, the periodization of nutrition that we were talking about earlier. Um, I would suggest think about where you are in your training schedule. Are you training for a race at the moment or are you you in a sort of a maintenance phase? Um, Is your training made up of the various approaches to performance? So, you know, strength training, interval training, gym, um, maybe um, endurance um, running or endurance training. um, Or is it the slow steady state training that Karen mentioned uh, a minute ago? And then you can think about decisions around is it the micro, meso, or macro approach to your nutrition that's the best training um, that that you could be doing, um, and how that uh, fits in with your food plan. So yeah, yeah that that would be my suggestions.
1: Yeah, yeah, really good points, Aileen. And and just going back to that carbohydrate and protein intake, remember to use the the grams per kilogram of body weight as a guide to how much you might need for your training, your specific training. So if we just do an example, because Aileen gave you all the grams per kilogram of body weight. So let's just do an example here. Say you're running long distances and you weigh 60 kilograms. Now, the minimum intake for protein you would want to consider would be around the 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight per day. So if you did 1.2 grams times 60 because that's your weight, then that would be 72 grams of protein per day. And and ideally you'd want to be um, dividing that up over three meals and two snacks, not having it all at once. Um, um, so so that's just an idea and an example for um, for protein. That might yeah, help.
0: yeah, it's always good to give an example, isn't it? And uh, earlier we were talking about carbohydrate, and we at that point we didn't mention you know about how much carbohydrate to consume using that same kind of calculation. So when we're thinking about carbohydrate, um it, again, there's a range um so it would range between five grams of carbohydrate per kilogram of body weight up to nine grams per kilogram. Um, of body weight per day so on the you would sort of apply the lower end on days where you're completing skill and strength-based training um, on the days that you're doing endurance training it would probably be between five to seven grams per kilogram of body weight per day um, but you can you know go higher and um you know, some elite and professional runners would be consuming as high as twelve grams per kilogram of body weight per day, um, and also you can go lower. Um, so, if you're somebody who is looking at uh, reducing body fat, for instance, you would you might be going as low as three grams per kilogram of body weight per day, but probably not on the days that you're doing the endurance training or um, or when you've got a high um, sort of strength based training, but maybe on the that that might be the time where you you're going into that macro phase and you're thinking, I'm gonna use that time to reduce my body weight, so I'll go lower carb at that time,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Absolutely.
1: Actually, just before um, we move on, Alien, I just wanted to remind everybody about the food first approach regarding your macronutrients, so your proteins and your carbohydrates, as well as fats as well, you know, and, and to go using that food first approach wherever possible, um, choosing the whole foods rather than maybe depending on the commercial bars, the gels and the isolated nutrient supplements as
0: well. So just keep that free uh, front of mind. Yeah, fly the flag for food first. Um, Definitely. Okay, Karen. So um, let's just move away from food and nutrition um, for a moment. And I was wondering if you could uh, quickly give us a few ideas for training that might help us avoid performance plateau, um, especially if you do that training alongside an optimal uh, diet.
1: Yes, what I'll do is I'll just add a couple of um training points that were highlighted to me in the review paper that I mentioned earlier, but I have to say it is only for that resistance strength style training. Unfortunately, in that paper, they didn't have any data on um on the endurance exercise. but you know we did mention at the beginning that repetitive training could be a risk factor, so I would suggest increasing your running training and including variety of training to help prevent that um, performance plateau occurring. But remember to adjust your food plan um, accordingly. So repetition isn't so good, variation is better. Um, And the review paper highlighted muscle hypertrophy so for that optimal muscle um development muscle building it um it suggested that um well it commented on on another study actually that suggested 10 repetitions of any one strength exercise and completing um that exercise for or doing 4 to 6 sets of that exercise would be um, required to support that hypertrophy now this study went on to suggest that um muscle hypertrophy would eventually plateau beyond this um this this level therefore possibly occurring due to overtraining so what it's saying is to to maximize the the hypertrophy that can occur for an individual person doing 10 repetitions and 4 to 6 sets of those repetitions is ideal and and clearly as you want to build more and more muscle you're going to be increasing the weight or uh, that, that you're that you're resisting against so that you don't reach the plateau otherwise um you will reach a plateau. Now another study suggested um a periodized approach to resistance training so what it's saying here is um to complete cycles of strength and power exercises um and in cycles of three to four weeks um and that sort of helps to prevent so you you do it for 3 to 4 weeks have a break and then um it, it go back and do another 3 to 4 weeks of of these um of these exercise cycles now this study was actually completed on older females so maybe this is one for us all to consider um putting in into place is doing our our
0: exercises our strength exercises yeah um, i'm really pleased to hear that karen because i i do um a strength circuit class um every week and the trainer what he does is he designs for every every month there's a new program so we do certain things one session certain things second session and every month we do something different so yeah, that's yes. really I, good, good to know
1: Yeah, absolutely. So having spoken about all of of this, before we close, Aileen, I'm now going to put you on the spot and ask you maybe to suggest one action point that our listeners could consider going away and putting in place, maybe to help prevent them reaching a performance plateau if that's what they um, are aiming to do. Um, So what action could you suggest for them?
0: Well, I think a very easy thing to do um, after this episode is to get a notebook out or uh, pick up, you know, the notes on your phone and just reflect on what you've eaten over the last two or three days and consider, is it repetitive? Um, Is it enough? And, And are your food choices correct for the type of training you're doing? And once you've reflected on these questions, then consider what changes you need to make to support your ongoing Uh, running performance so um yeah just a little bit of reflection and often you know you know that you like you say you might be eating the same breakfast or the same lunch because it's easy and uh, maybe it's not fueling your training in the right way
1: yeah absolutely I like that Aileen so maybe sitting down with a cup of herbal tea pen and paper in hand is the order of the day for this task for um everybody who's interested in
0: the performance plateau and
1: trying to avoid it
0: Yeah, absolutely. So on on that note, Karen, uh, we're drawing to the end of the episode. Um, So could I ask you to give us your key takeaways for today? Yeah, absolutely, Aileen. So
1: just to start off with, as a reminder, you know, a performance plateau is thought to occur when the body begins to adjust to the demands of the exercise being performed. Therefore, the individual doesn't seem to see much, if any, benefit from the exercise that they're doing. So again, just to give you that example, that might be that there's no increase in speed or endurance for a runner, or if, um, If if it's a, a resistance or strength training individual, then they're not seeing any more of that muscle development. Remember, a performance plateau should not necessarily be seen as a negative state. It is actually a sign that you've made some progress. So well done. But it would suggest that you are now ready to take that next step and increase your training to help increase your performance. There are several signs and symptoms that might suggest you've reached a performance plateau, including the fact that your running performance is stalled, your training feels too easy, and that you are no longer achieving any body composition goals. Uh, For example, that increased muscle mass and reduced fat mass. Remember that what you eat, how much you eat and when you eat it um, linked to your training um, might help prevent, or be a risk factor in you reaching a performance plateau. So in order to help prevent reaching the plateau, training and nutrition need to be addressed in tandem. Focusing on one only might have limited effects. And remember the food first approach to your nutrition, wherever possible, try and choose whole foods rather than depending on the the commercial foods, such as the bars, the gels and these
0: isolated nutrient supplements. So those would be my takeaways, Aileen. Thank you, Karen. It's been a really interesting uh, conversation as always. And um, we'd love to hear from uh, anyone who's listening and find out if you've had a performance plateau or maybe what your insights have been from today's episode. Um, Just drop us a line at hello at Runners Health Hub and we'd love to hear from you. So remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now.